Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Before we get started, I want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Are you happy because you win or do you win because you're happy? Only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in the episode. Welcome on to this week's Hollinger and Duncan. A couple of programming notes. First of all, we had a few issues with our desktop client on Locker Room, so we had to record that just using our iPads. Apologies for the audio quality at the end here, but we figured we'd put it on there if it, if the audio quality is too difficult to deal with. Well, uh, we totally understand, but we give you a chance to listen to it anyway. And the first part of the pod, though, will be our, our normal quality. That should be fine. And also a note that next week we will not be joining you uh john is finally taking it a little bit of time off before the playoffs so our next show will be on wednesday may 19th let's get started here talking about the best players in the nba and what they have to prove in the playoffs okay welcome on to hollinger and duncan got much to get to here john wrote a column that speculated that Nikola Jokic might be the best player in the nba i got some thoughts uh, on that a lot of people have some thoughts on that and also we have not ruled a team out of the playoffs for several weeks here that is going to get real interesting also and and anything else that's uh been on uh, john and my's mind we'll get to and then uh we will get to our locker room hangout at the top of the hour here in in about an hour john's got his sneeze out of the way so we are ready to go here uh what's going on man uh not too much uh feeling better about putting uh nate bjorker in 29th on my coaches list though Oh man, yeah, that's that's not too good. Uh, some of these reports are not encouraging the micromanaging of assistants when you've got your own assistant coaches revolting against you. And that, I mean, that's very, very just from kind of grapevine chatter. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> that's definitely a thing. So, yeah, <laughs> that's that's a problem. Well, so what what do you think that is? Like micromanaging the assistants? Like, what is what would that consist of? You think? <laughs> Uh, I think, uh, you know, there, there's, there's a lot that goes into the day to day on the coaching staff side. And, you know, I, I, I just don't know. Uh, I, I don't know enough specifics to know exactly what it could be, but I mean, you're, when you're a head coach, you're a little bit of CEO too, and you have to manage that staff and make sure that everyone's voice can be heard. But at the same time, um, you know, you got to kind of keep everyone in line too. And usually that's why a lot of times coaches will add a couple of quote unquote loyalists to their staff just to make that whole process easier. Uh, so I, I don't know enough about the details of, of 
what what exactly has happened with the with the micromanaging, but yeah, that's that's definitely a story that's been bouncing around the league. Yeah, I, I mean, you would imagine because there's for those who haven't been in an NBA arena pregame, you'll see everybody kind of gets their vitamins. I think that's what the Warriors would call it. Where that's it, a, the original workshop. Spurs terminology. Yeah, the, oh, the, Spurs. Get, yeah, okay. getting all the player development uh, work done in the in those you know two and a half hours to sixty minutes before the game before all the guys who are actually going to play get out there for their warm-ups um you have all the game prep they're doing you have the shoot around work uh there's just a lot you know obviously on practice days there's hardly any practice this year but on practice days you have all all kinds of routines uh that need to be done so there's a lot that goes into it beyond just uh the the two and a half hours that the game is going on and then there's there's the game preps that the individual coaches do too so each Typically, they'll split the league up into roughly thirds among the top three assistants. Every team does it a little differently. And those teams will be that coach's prep, so to speak. Um, And he'll be in charge of the team's preparation for that game in terms of going through their plays in the shoot around and and introducing, you know, some of the things they're going to be doing and and kind of the overarching uh, strategy of how to play them offensively and defensively. So, you know, was there conflict with that? Maybe. Yeah, or it, and that's just hey, I, I want to do the player development with this guy this way, and he's micromanaging every aspect of, of that. Yeah. Or even you'll see guys afterwards, you know, they'll do their even for the guys who are better players. Sometimes you'll see them go through their warm up about fifteen twenty minutes out there on the floor, and then they'll sit down on the sideline with the whoever kind of their guy is on the staff yeah. with an okay. iPad and yeah. and go through the matchups for that day and stuff like. That. So there's a lot of stuff that you know individual assistants are. Are probably on most teams are just coming up with that type of stuff themselves maybe there's an overarching plan of things you want to focus on from the head coach so maybe i mean that's like the first sort of thing that would come to mind for me in terms of micro managing because those are the things that the assistants normally are just kind of more responsible for on their own yeah absolutely yeah because I, I couldn't think of what else it would be that like normally would just be assistants are planning this without like too much direct input from the head coach um Mm -hmm. yeah and also i mean you'll see this sometimes on staffs too that uh guys are very jealous uh, of those relationships right like you want to you get the number one overall draft pick on on your team you know uh, anthony edwards with the wolves or something not that i know specifically but like yeah you know if you're an assistant coach yeah you want to hitch your wagon to that star you want to be responsible for developing that guy so if he turns into a star then you kind of so some of the credit rolls down to you in that situation. yeah totally so there are totally. you do kind of have like these little fiefdoms at times uh, within teams uh because you know each coach kind of has their own guy as far as uh who they're going to be working out um yeah that's that's too bad the other thing that i thought was fascinating which i didn't know until woge's piece was he only has one more guaranteed year on his contract that didn't shock me um there's been yeah. other coaching contracts that are that are two plus ones i, I mean i've seen that before so that that yeah. part actually didn't shock me yeah or a, a, a three minus one which <laughs> a three a three minus one yeah it's probably yeah. a better way to put it but yeah yeah but usually the standard is a four minus one for for these but maybe that is why he ended up there and some of the other guys that they interviewed like chris finch was rumored to be a a Mm -hmm. big candidate there um and 
didn't end up getting the job. So what do you think happens there? Is there any way he can come back from this, Nate Bjorkren? I mean, I guess we should summarize if you didn't hear the reports from both Woj and then Shams and Sam Amick about Bjorkren kind of being in trouble, Sabonis and Brogdon not liking him and his schemes being a little bit too rigid. I understand why Sabonis doesn't like him because he wants Sabonis to like get out in the perimeter and like pressure. That hasn't really worked yeah. too well. And yeah. obviously they gave up a buck 54 to the Wizards. Their transition defense has been atrocious. Jay Michael's kind of been all over this story too. So anyway, there's, you know, I thought they could move on from him, but they're still trying to work with him and stuff. So with that background, what do you make of the situation at this point? That was, I think that's like attempt to salvage the season language right now. And like when something like this gets out, it's almost always taps. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I mean... I'm trying to think of when, who the last guy was that this happened to. Um, and and I will say, this is another one of those. Uh, Lloyd, Lloyd Pierce was an example of this too. We talked about it before. Uh, and I liked the Bjorkren hire. I liked some of the things he's tried to implement. But, and and it hasn't been fair. They've had all these injuries. You know, I think given the available talent, I wouldn't say that they've vastly un- underperformed. Right. I would agree, I would agree with is, that. Yeah, they've had um, a ton of injuries and, you know, they, yeah, they weren't supposed I mean, to dominate the league. But some of the stuff that's gone on at the defensive end has been a little head scratching. And I think somewhere along the way, uh, they they lost religion a little bit in the locker room. Yeah. I mean, it would help if they had more than two good defensive players on the roster. And if their defensive player of the year candidate were, had actually played it all the last month, uh, they were pretty yeah. decent defensively, I think, before that. And they'd be good with Turner on the floor. But but yeah, regardless of des- the whether he deserves to be fired based on the record or not, if Malcolm Brogdon and Demonis Sabonis are pissed off at you, you're probably not going to lie. Yeah. In yeah. the end, it seems like. So I know that many of you are just starting out. Maybe you're buying a home, starting a family, getting married. Married, make sure that you add securing your family's future to your to-do list by establishing a will or trust at trustandwill.com. So you can set up an estate plan simply, conveniently, and securely. As little as $39 will allow you to nominate guardians for your children, determine who gets your stuff, and plan for future medical care. You can do it all from the comfort of your home. You don't want to use a one-size-fits-all template because you're not everyone. And a traditional estate attorney charging by the hour that can cost thousands instead trust and will documents are designed by estate planning experts and customized for the state that you live in and they also have live customer support seven days a week so they can answer any questions that you have while setting up your plan i know a lot of our listeners including me we think of ourselves as pretty young and i realize i oh, know i'm actually uh in my early 40s now and while i certainly don't expect anything to happen to me you never expect something to happen to you and so just getting this done now with trustandwill.com Rather than waiting, you have it taken off your mind. There's never really a good time to do this. So just do it now and have it ready. Gain peace of mind at trustandwill.com slash PR. Easy to slash PR because John invented it. You can get 10% off plus free shipping of your customized legal documents. Just go right now and get 10% off plus free shipping at trustandwill.com slash PR. Trustandwill.com slash PR. Don't forget that slash PR to let them know that you came from us. Wouldn't it be great if there were a pocket-sized guide that helped you sleep? or focus or just feel better there is if you have 10 minutes headspace can change your life with your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations and an easy to use app it's one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness through clinically validated research that's the difference with headspace if you're feeling overwhelmed headspace is a three minute sos meditation for you need some help falling asleep headspace has wind down sessions that the members swear by and they even have morning meditations you can do with your kids to get them started uh, 
on that as well. Headspace now has 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. User to feel happier and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash NBA, the name of this network. That's headspace.com slash NBA for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal that they are offering right now. Head to headspace.com slash NBA today. Okay, so let's let's get to the MVP race. I think I, I will preface this by thinking I haven't really gone through it yet, but I would imagine uh, that Nikola Jokic is going to be my pick for MVP. He might even be my pick for the best overall offensive player in basketball. Mm-hmm. And you wrote a column this week saying not only that you think that he's the obvious MVP, but that he could certainly be the best player in basketball. The Ringer did their top 25 players in the NBA rankings that just came out they had Nikola Jokic as the best player in the NBA and when Danny LaRue and I did our top 10 players in the NBA I had Nikola Jokic as the ninth best player in the NBA so what I'll cede the floor to you here because you seem actually closer to the conventional wisdom at this point in time of why is it that Nikola Jokic well i guess you said might be the best player in the nba so are are you would you say he is or are you or are you you know just considering him as a candidate at this point i would say that if if you held a gun to my head i would say he is uh i would feel more sure of my opinion after the postseason because that is the crucible where all these guys get tested right because coaches game plan specifically for them and we see what advanced schemes they can handle and what maybe they can't and that that we didn't necessarily get to see in the regular season so it's a different animal right like because if we just went off regular season we would probably say you know what i'm still going to grandfather Giannis into the number one spot but he's shown his vulnerabilities in the postseason the last two years. And Jokic has actually been really good in the playoffs the last two years, too, even before this year. Uh, but you still want to see him get tested again at that at that highest level. Uh, especially, I mean, it'd be really interesting this year where your game plan is really just going to be all Jokic, you know, if you're, if you're Denver's opponent and how he deals with that. Uh, the reason I am... I, the reason I would lean that way is because I just think he has surpassed all these other guys as the ultimate cheat code on offense. And it's really amazing for this to happen because we had morphed from a post-up center league to a perimeter guy with the ball in his hands, like big, you know, apex wing type of league where that, you know, that that was the guy, right? That was that was the, the thing that separated you as a team, having that LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, type player. Uh, Durant with the Warriors. I mean, obviously Curry had his golden era there as well, but you know, those types of players were were where the league was going. And then all of a sudden a center comes along who is also basically a point guard. And I just, like, I just don't know what the hell you do against this guy. Like even he's the one guy that flummoxes like even Rudy Gobert, who's an awesome defensive player who's going to win defensive player of the year. Right. And against Jokic, it's just like, (laughs) he's like, what do I do? Like, (laughs) you know, because Jokic is big enough to still score on him in the post if he really has to, or can at least score scoring him in the post more effectively than any other human and uh but his passing is such a weapon like you can't double him you're you're just playing with fire he makes i mean they have like no nba guards right now and he they still have a offense because his passing just just makes these non-players at least viable threats and they you know end up end up getting 10 points from randoms just off of passes from Jokic. i uh 
And he does it without really needing to dominate the ball. So I, ju- I just think offensively, he's at such a level right now that, yeah, he's not an elite defensive player. He's actually like pretty decent now. Um, he used to not be good. And, you know, if you if you have to go switch heavy, if you're the Nuggets, that's probably not ideal, right? Like you, do, you don't necessarily want yeah. Jokic tracking guys out on the perimeter still. Pretty good not, not around the basket. Pretty good around the basket. Pretty good hands, too, which makes up for some stuff. So I am in agreement with most of what you said, particularly on the offensive end. I thought that Gobert actually did a really good job against Jokic and stopped him in the post in last year's playoffs. Jokic, of course, has gotten better since then. and He did put up that massive game against the Jazz this year. So I'd be interested to see if those teams match up. It looks like that actually could happen in the second round. We'll yeah, see. exactly. But, that, uh, that would be I, super interesting. And the other thing Jokic did this year, he's really added the three-point shot, which wasn't a big part yeah. of his game before. And when he started shooting pick-and-pop threes in that Utah series last year, I thought that really helped change things. So when you talk about the best player in the NBA, like what what is your do you have a criteria that you look at for determining that? I mean, as far as like how you apportion regular season and playoffs, or just you know, are, are or, or you know, is it playing well in the playoffs? Is it winning a championship? Like, like what? How would you say what your criteria is? I'll, I'll give you mine. While, while you think about it, it's the way Danny and I do it is if we were starting a regular season and playoffs right now who would we most want on our team with the goal of winning a championship on on a uh random type of team i mean not random you know okc because they're not actually trying to win but a random team that's trying to win with random talent around you who is going to increase your championship odds the most over the course of a regular season and playoffs that's that's what our criteria is is that close to what you would have or what you think i i'd say that i'd say that's a good that's a good criteria yeah that's probably that's probably pretty close to what i to where I'm at. I, I would say the higher you go up the ladder, the more the postseason part matters. Because, I mean, at, at a certain level, like when, when you're comparing players as you get further down, you're more in an area where you're just trying to get into the playoffs, right? Right, <laughs> and then, right. But when, when you're at this this highest level, the differentiator becomes, okay, well, what can this guy do in a conference final series? What can this guy do in an NBA finals? So, uh that's uh that, that that would probably be the distinction. And then, you know, durability is such a interesting part of this because yeah. injuries are are fluky on the one hand, but on the other hand, you you want a guy you reasonably can expect to make it through the season and the playoffs. Like you know, Joel Embiid, for instance, is a guy who, if I have to play one game, you know, he's probably one of the first few guys off our board. But if we're talking about playing an entire season, then you got to move him way down. Yeah, the history has shown for Embiid that, you know, I, I would say, because I, I put more stock in the playoffs, basically, and the playoffs, are, I think, are more different than the regular season than we've ever seen, particularly in this crazy-ass year. But you got to conclude that a guy like Embiid Embiid or maybe Kyrie Irving, there's probably a 50% chance based on the history that they're not going to be fully healthy in the playoffs. And you got to obviously price that in. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or even that, you know, if they miss even two playoff games, well, that could, that could be the difference right there, you know? So I'm not going to give you my, my rationale yet for having Jokic, Jokic lower, okay. but I'll give you the eight players that I have above him in order. Okay. LeBron James, Kawhi okay. Leonard, Stephen Curry, mm-hmm. Anthony Davis, mm-hmm. Kevin Durant, Giannis, 
Embiid, and Luka. And I have Jokic above Lillard, and I have him above Harden. That's my, that's my top 11. So am I completely insane, given the criteria we talked about, to have Jokic below those eight guys that I mentioned? I don't think you're completely insane because I think it's yes. relatively. I, <laughs> right. I don't think you're completely insane right. on I, this I, narrow the, uh, criteria. <laughs> yeah, they're not coming for me with a straight jacket yet, baby. <laughs> because I think it is a very narrow distinction at the top right now, uh, and I feel like it hasn't always been that way. But yeah. in the among the top ten, but like I feel like the gap between one and ten is pretty small. Um, I was a little surprised you did not mention in those top names, Jimmy Butler. Yeah, I had him as number 13. Okay. Uh, and Paul George is number 12. So, yeah, I mean, the Butler has been awesome too. Like it's And as we get into this discussion, I'm sure I'm going to get ripped again for this one, but I think it's important to remember that there's more talent at the top of the NBA right now than I think there's ever been. And also that basically all those players, other than sadly LeBron right now, are looking like, and maybe Harden looking like they're going to be healthy going into the postseason, which is rare that you can say, despite how crazy this year has been. So, uh, I mean, I, I think it's going to be an awesome playoffs for that reason. But I yeah. would you agree with me that there's more top end talent in the NBA right now than there's ever been? I agree with you. And when I was going through this exercise, it really hit me when I was placing Brooklyn's guys. And when I realized that, wow, like they... <laughs> <laughs> they're not they're not as high as I thought they'd be just just yeah. based on you know trying to consider them alone rather than you know looking at the nets and they have these three awesome players and you're like wow and then and then you really go through it and you're like uh, can I can I put you at seven or can I justify that you know it's uh it's hard yeah we we actually agree on the five best players non-jokic division yes so, so I had yeah. like LeBron and Kawhi are kind of the two guys at the top. And then, De- you know, LeBron is interesting. Where do you place him right now? I think you still give him the respect for his historical accomplishment, right? If we if we did a redraft yeah. today. Well, and, and the, the way I do it too, by the way, is everybody gets over the injuries that they've had and you start the year, right? So like yeah. the, LeBron getting a high ankle sprain, that doesn't ding him. But, you know, Clay Thompson coming off an Achilles, we're saying he's healthy, but he's coming off an Achilles, so he yeah. still is going to have a reduced performance, you would think, because he's coming off an Achilles. Yeah. I mean, I, LeBron was not having a dominant regular season uh, b- before the injury. I mean, most people were had him like number one in MVP. I guess you just that didn't was agree that with was, that. but that to me wasn't based on what was happening on the court. That was just like a narrative driven thing based off of the last postseason. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I, I thought he was playing pretty good. He was he was up there for me. The Lakers were awesome when he was out there. He was he had like a down spell and then he was ramping up again before he had the high ankle sprain. He had some really good games. He's also you know probably one of the better guys on this group defensively at this point, having rededicated himself there. Yeah. As as a Laker so and obviously also a, you know a big part of my ranking him number one was that he was the best player in the world in the last playoffs and I'm I'm kind of too there's only was, so much was he though can, wait wait, yeah. wait 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 was he the best player on his own team in the last playoffs well it, that guy's number four yeah. uh yeah I mean I I would still say so I thought he was he uh he was pretty damn awesome in those playoffs I mean especially the way he put the put the nuggets away uh in particular um I I, I think I think 
he had earned that crown again to me with his playmaking and scoring and the way that he i mean i've still he's still not quite the score that he used to be i think that's really the only part of his game that i would look at as having declined Mm -hmm. a reasonable amount but yeah i mean that was one of the you know if it's the second greatest player of all time just won the championship and still playing at a very high level and one finals mvp I, I feel pretty decent about saying he was the best but that that's not to underrate what davis did he was unbelievable in the playoffs too i have, have a number four for a reason as well so um but yeah so i guess for me there's only so much that you can do particularly with how different the regular season and the postseason are now there's only so much that you can do to prove anything to me that doesn't take place in the playoffs uh, mm-hmm. on this list for me and so that's part of why i'm maybe a little bit stickier with past results like i agree with like offensively Jokic might be the best offensive player in basketball but then what i go back to is i think his defense is a major problem in the playoffs because you mentioned the lack of scheme versatility if you look at it historically you know and they're going to finish up at probably you know like the 13th best defense yeah. they've actually been worse defense with him on the floor part of that some bad shooting luck from three i think opponents are shooting like six percent better from three when he's on the floor that's not necessarily his fault but go back and look at history what would you say is the last team that won a championship with a defensive center the caliber of Jokic? All right. We we can we can take some time. We can edit out this silence. You're, you're gonna have to go back pretty far. I'm I'm guessing to find one. I mean, he's better than Zaza Pachulia. Well, but that's Draymond Green was really their defense. Okay. Center. Okay. Like in their best lineup at the end of games, and also they you know that's when they re- they went to that switching group. They had the scheme versatility. So you know Zaza was playing 15 minutes a game. So I I wouldn't you know as like your primary center at the end of games. I mean, can I can I count? Kevin Love, or does he? Are you gonna? Are you gonna say Tristan Thompson? Uh, I, I would probably have to who, say Tristan Thompson. Tristan was good That's, in that series, but I mean, lo, well, Love yeah, was actually, a Love was a big who was a worse defensive player than Jokic, though. Um, yes, although he remember part of why they won that series is because he got a concussion and barely played. I know he had the big stop on Steph at the end of Game Seven, but he didn't do much in mm-hmm. that series. Um, yeah, and they all you know that that maybe could be one you would point to, but I would probably but and I guess what I could add in here too is not only the quality, but then the ability at least in the last ten years to play different types of schemes, and they'll certainly change up the conventional type of schemes that they'll do, either bringing him up to touch or playing a drop coverage or or like really blitzing it or bringing more help in from the wings to protect Jokic. Uh, but you can't really do much of a switching style uh, at all, which I think is still something that you need to have in your bag defensively. Would be, That would be my thought. Even, even accepting, I accept your premise that Nikola Jokic, even in the playoffs, might be the best offensive player in the world. Um, but it might be, I mean, you have to go back to maybe like late 80s Kareem to find another defensive center. And that was obviously a totally different game, but to find a team with a defensive center who had the issues that Jokic has. And I, I will also take a, a little bit of issue with what you said about him being good defensively around the basket because teams annually shoot one of the highest percentages against the Nuggets at the rim and against him specifically at the rim based on the sport view data. So I think if you get a running start at him, he's been a little bit better blocking some shots lately because he's gotten in better shape. 
but he still is not providing a ton of resistance i think like you can go back to that jazz series last year to see that well that was yeah that was a those first four games were ridiculous last year unquestionably and then they changed up their scheme to give up a a bunch of threes which the jazz kind of started missing uh and bring in a bunch of help from the wing and also gary harris came back and kind of saved them to make them a little bit better defensively last year and they stopped the Clippers, which I give them a lot of credit for. I mean, a lot of your, uh, a lot of this is reliant on what they did to the Clippers last year. If you take out that series, I think they really have not defended at anywhere near the level they would need to to win a championship in the playoffs the last two years. Yeah, because they struggled with that the year before uh, in the series against San Antonio and Portland, both. Uh, no yeah. business losing that series to Portland. No, I, I agree with you on that. So, so that's my thought, and it's kind of unfair to Jokic because he is a great offensive player and you know he's no worse at his position defensively than say Steph Curry is as a point guard but that's just the luck of the draw of being a center like you have to be good on defense as a center I say to win a championship and maybe he'll just be so good on offense they'll outscore everybody and it's not going to matter the one the one thing but- he does is because he is such a matchup problem he takes away your ability to go small against them like are you going to play Marcus Morris against at center against the Clippers against the uh, Nuggets I mean that's interesting. Now, he, the Warriors actually did a pretty good job defending him the last couple of times they played uh, with Looney and Draymond. Um, you know, we'll see what with the Lakers, you know, the, yeah, they, you probably have to put a big center out there. I mean, my thought is you got to double team them anyway, so you might as well just go small and outscore them. But no, that that is a good point. Like he could, his offense could just be so good that you can't attack them. But even if you're just playing a conventional pick and roll offense like the Jazz were, you should be able to, you're going to get threes against the nuggets or you're going to get to the rim one of the two because their scheme is designed to protect him yeah so 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 that's my thought there and i i i don't think that you and i disagree that much on what Jokic is at a player and and what he's good at i think we just disagree on how important the defensive liability is so uh, any reaction to that i mean do you do you uh are my concerns valid or or am i being too hard on the defense here i think your concerns are valid and i think we don't i mean that's the part of this that's the mystery right because we do we want to see what skinny Jokic looks like on defense in the playoffs yeah um well any i mean he kind of was skinny Jokic last year as well he's he's even quicker i would say now but yeah yeah and also i mean and part of i think my thinking also is informed by you know the two dominant teams i guess the three dominant teams of the last decade just were impossible to stop with any kind of conventional pick and roll scheme like the the lebron heat once they put bosh at center lebron's cleveland teams and then the warriors like there's you could not stop that team, those teams with Jokic at center. Maybe there isn't that team out there now. Perhaps that team is the Nets, but we'll see whether they face them. So, and I, I mean, the other big shame, obviously, is that Jamal Murray tours ACL, and so right. as well as Denver has played, like, is is this team going to yeah. win the championship anyway? No, no, <laughs> right. No, so, so, so that makes it a harder eval, also. Right, but if they, and we'll see how they're going to go up against some good offensive teams. Like if they go up against the Suns, for example, like are they going to be able to stop Chris Paul and Devin Booker in mm-hmm. pick and roll? Like that would be a very interesting question to me. Or going up against this Jazz team again as well. I mean, they're a really good pick and roll team as well, and have even better shooters than they had last year. And that could easily be the second round series. Uh, although 
I mean, they would have to even uh, dealing with Luca and Porzingis. I was going to say, what about Dallas? A, a Dallas series, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Porzingis has always caused big problems for the Nuggets uh, when he's actually been on the court in Dallas. We'll see whether, whether that actually happens again. So I, I do think we're going to get some important information about how well they play defensively going up against some really good pick and roll offenses this year. Uh, but I just I couldn't go there yet on Jokic because there's so many other great players that have proven it that have won championships and also you know aren't causing problems for their team defensively yeah that's like i said i mean that's that that that's the one mystery remaining i I just offensively i just think he's he's the ultimate cheat code right now and so i i want i want to see if that i mean we'll see what they throw at him in the playoffs and if that part carries over too and if he's just if he's just so potent at that end that it doesn't it's like it's it's like brooklyn right yeah it's like oh hey their defense isn't going to be that good well is it is it going to matter (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, maybe Marcus Gasol thought did a pretty decent job on him in that game the other day and yeah. historically has. And I think Gobert, although Gobert has so little around him that that's a little bit of an issue. Maybe Draymond to some degree, although he can he's potentially going to get overpowered too. And also the Nuggets, I think the lack of shooting that they have is going to start to be more of a problem when you're doubling off of Dozier or Compazzo and really locked in on who you can not guard for the Nuggets. I I think that things might get more difficult for Jokic as well. Yeah, uh, I can definitely see that. So, yeah, I'm I, I'm really interested to see what's what's going to happen here. But you know, you know, you you I see no problem in trying to get out ahead of this because he has been that good offensively. It's my only other concern with him would be is this massive step up in jump shooting, particularly from the three point line. Is that real? So he's been in the uh, low 30s most of his career. Yeah, I mean, I trust it a little because he shoots 86 from the line and he has such obvious touch inside the arc yeah it seemed like you would almost take him like as an afterthought or out of guilt before and now he's really using it he's just gotten so much more aggressive as a scorer as as you highlighted in your piece yeah yeah and the degree of difficulty on some of these shots he makes i mean it's like what what do you even do with them did you see draymond's pantomime of the sambor shuffle the other day when he was talking about it he's just like i did not yeah it was great he was like sitting there at the press at the press table and and i think slater asked him about you know what's it like guarding Embiid compared to Jokic and he's like you know Embiid he'll really try and put you in the goal and then Jokic you know he hits this ridiculous right foot fadeaway he like pantomimed it it was pretty funny but it's mm-hmm. called the Sambor shuffle Draymond get it right yes <laughs> Adam Maris uh, uh, made that up well John we've talked about Nikola Jokic maybe more than we've ever talked about one player on this program consecutively and thus we'd be remiss in not naming him the McLobal Ultra player of the week at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories it's only worth it if you enjoy it joy creates success and enjoyment isn't the end game it's the whole game are you happy because you win or do you win because you're happy i'm certainly happy when i watched Nikola Jokic play basketball that's for sure and he is the Michelob Ultra player of the week so i'm actually in chicago right now it is safe to travel again I'm actually visiting my mom's house for the first time in over a year but i was reminded of course that uh air travel uh, not too good you sit there for a while four hour flight from the west coast you get up your calves are sore you got all this swelling oh good thing I remembered to bring my Theragun with me. Theragun is the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension. It's got a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power, and it's as quiet as an electric 
toothbrush, their signature percussive therapy. There are many imitators, but Theragun goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. You can get rid of those adhesions, just get rid of some general soreness, whether it's your neck, sitting at your desk, lifting weights, running, work on your IT bands, work on your calves. Consistent work with your Theragun can really just help your muscles feel better and more supple. Try Theragun for 30 days, starting at only $199. Go to theragun.com slash PR right now. Get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash PR. Remember, John invented that. Theragun.com slash PR. Don't forget that slash PR. Let them know that you came from us. Any other like interesting... Uh, before we kind of we got to do some like eliminating teams from the playoffs and get to the locker room obviously but um any other kind of thoughts on like players that you're really interested in among these superstars of how they're going to play in these playoffs guys who kind of have a lot on the line in terms of their standing in the league uh, these playoffs rudy gobert yeah yeah I'm- he was number 15 in the nba on my list Okay, I have him 13 provisionally, which is weird because I I think he has a great case to be number two on MVP ballots this year between his health, his defense, uh, and the fact that the offense basically revolves around him, even though he doesn't have the ball in his hands that much. um, And they've been the best team in the league. But yeah, there's I think there's a little more question. How does his level of play translate into a playoff environment uh, at the at the highest level? I mean, he's still like he's good on switches though, so it's not really that as much as uh, o- offensively. If you just switch against Utah, can they be as potent? Yeah, that's going to be very interesting. The, their numbers in the regular season on shooting off the dribble uh, contested are pretty good. Uh, they've found a way to work in the regular season, but again, that's that's a this is a the, today's regular season numbers. I am very loath to translate them into the playoffs without a healthy dose of skepticism. And and yeah, Gobert as well. Is he going to be able to make up for the fact that they don't really have much else on the perimeter and that the best players in the NBA are able to hit contested jump shots? off the dribble and there's not really much that Rudy Gobert can do about that uh and well that's a point yeah yeah, the defensive end if you play a team like the Clippers who is just going to be shooting jump shot after jump shot how can Rudy Gobert impact that game at a high level and you also mentioned oh you know the Clippers aren't going to play Marcus Morris at center against Jokic but they can do that against Gobert and now you run into the issue of they got to you know that the one game that those teams played against each other at full strength they had to put Gobert on Patrick Beverly banged a couple of threes on him down the stretch yep uh well Kevin Durant I I mean is a fascinating one like we could very easily be anointing Kevin Durant the best player in basketball again after these playoffs or we could say eh you know he's still a great scorer but he's just not quite the same force and he can't quite get to the rim the same way and he wasn't he wasn't able to carry the nets in the end and that he has fallen off a little with the Achilles I mean is it going to be Durant's team or Harden's team in the playoffs yeah honestly like yeah I think the ball's going to be in Harden's hands. Yeah. Well, that doesn't mean that Kevin Durant can't still score at an incredibly high rate. But yeah, yeah. I mean, they should put the ball in Harden's hands because they need a little bit more ball movement and passing. I think that was sort of clear from these last two games against the Bucs. Um, and, and then also just, is he going to be able to be enough of a physical force defensively? Because that's probably where they need him even more than on offense uh, with the yeah. way their team is built. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing you wanted to see them do, I watched Sunday's game. I didn't watch the game last last night uh see them try they didn't put duran on Giannis at all uh well and they shouldn't because he's gonna get trucked even going back to to his golden state days like 
Mm-hmm. Giannis would go right through KD. Uh, I mean, he's just nowhere near strong enough to deal with Giannis, I would say. I mean, Je- Jeff Green, DeAndre Jordan. I mean, Blake Griffin, I think, would do a better job right. on Giannis that, than KD. Uh, so, because KD has actually lost some weight as well, which is good for his, him overall, but not good for defending Giannis. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, Joel Embiid, obviously, he's got to be another one. I mean, he's kind of, whether he as the center can be the driver of efficient offense in the playoffs and then some of the same defensive questions as with Gobert, although he's got more talent around him than Gobert. You know, that's one where, I mean, he's probably, you might even argue that as good as Jokic has been, that Embiid on a per play basis has been the best player in the NBA this year. And so does that yeah. continue in the playoffs? That's a fascinating one. Yeah, it's, you know, it's harder to play through him uh, than it is to play through Jokic just because Embiid's going to be so much more on the block and he's not really, you, you know, he's he's not dishing and dribbling the ball up and doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, he's doing more of that this year and he's they've gotten him the ball a lot in the clutch this year and he's been pretty good, but we'll see if teams lock in a little bit more, whether that could change. And then obviously Giannis, I, I don't think we need to talk about him too much. I think his playoff issues have been well documented and the issues with the jumper and stuff. And so he's... Uh, and he, I think whether he can really be a force defensively in the playoffs as much as he was last year in the regular season is a question too. But that, I mean, this is, would you consider this the most wide open playoffs in recent memory? Yes. If Jamal Murray were 100%, I would say there were eight teams with a legitimate chance of winning the title. Yeah, the three the three in the East. Yeah. And then the two LA teams, Utah and Phoenix. Uh, yes. You give Phoenix a legitimate chance of winning the title, huh? I think if, especially if they're in the in the home court position for the entire playoffs i think you have to at least respect that um that that they could yeah. I'd, I'd probably i'd probably give them the lowest odds of the eight but you know are they over the five percent hurdle where you're you know you're saying there's a chance as the saying goes yeah i would say so well particularly if the seating works out as it appears it might where you would have utah and both la teams in the opposite bracket for them that would be un yeah that would be unbelievable for Phoenix right you get you play a one eight and then you play what the winner of like Denver Portland or Denver Dallas and then you you have home court for a conference finals yeah that that would be the ideal scenario yeah against a team that's just gone through a ridiculous slog yeah uh, before that because whoever comes out of that will have had to beat the other two teams most well I guess Utah wouldn't have had to but um yeah that that'll be fascinating and and Philly I Philly I would rank them third among the the teams in the east but they're kind of in the similar situation they look like they're cruising for the one seed now they only are going to have to beat one of milwaukee and brooklyn and yeah you get into that conference finals even if you're not a favorite you got home court and maybe there's an injury or something like that or exactly you you get hot from three or maybe you're a little bit better than we thought and then you're in the finals and uh, anything i mean you could have a uh a ph2 finals (laughs) with phoenix It's real, uh, a, a real basic finals, if you would. Oh my goodness! <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my uh, goodness. Yes. Uh. Well, so is that is that time to change topics here, John? I because think it's. <laughs> we have spent far too much time talking about the playoffs. 
and not nearly enough time talking about the teams that will not be in the playoffs so you and i have ruled seven teams out of the playoffs but as with last year i fear our sphincters may be tightening because the last team that we both ruled out of the playoffs on april 7th less than one month ago was the washington wizards oh my goodness they've been like legitimately good and fun and are playing really well and i think they may end up finishing ahead of uh indy even here and in the nine spot i don't know if they can get to eight but yeah they're they're two games behind the hornets right now i mean one game between them and the hornets like (laughs) washington's got to feel no gordon hayward yeah i I mean i don't think hayward's gonna be ready like he just got out of the walking boot yeah at least it was reported that he was out of the walking boot last week so i that seems pretty unlikely to me that he's gonna be back at anywhere approaching full strength or at all for a play-in and you know the the heat or the celtics or the Knicks or the Hawks are going to be the seventh seed, but they don't have to beat that team. All they got to do, I mean, I might, like the Pacers are really, I think Miles Turner, it seems like the way they're talking there, he's done for the year. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, you would have to say that the Wizards are would be favored in any individual game over the Pacers or Hornets at this point. Yeah, yeah. They'll probably have to win two in a row on the road, or at least one on the road, which is more challenging. But yeah, we might uh, we might take the L on that one. I mean, what they've done is absolutely incredible. I mean, they were, it was like a no brainer to rule them out of the playoffs at at that point. But so we've each ruled seven out of the playoffs, and hey, only we still have, that means we have to rule seven more teams out of the playoffs. As of now, I mean, we don't have to do them all now, but we should probably do like four of them, don't you think? I mean, this like to actually make this even remotely difficult, so we can do another three next week and like actually. Well, make we got real we're uh, we're, we're on hiatus next week. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Uh, so I mean, I guess we maybe we just need to make our our whole playoff predictions right now. Let's do it. <laughs> okay, well let's, let's let's go. Let's, let's go. at least go in order, though, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, obviously process of elimination here. Okay. To be sure. Okay, so Minnesota, Orlando, Cleveland, OKC, Houston, who as you noted is 5 and 39 in their last 44 games, which is just batshit insane. Yeah. Detroit and Washington. Okay. All right, I will I will leave it up to you here. Who who are you going to rule out next? Next team I will rule out is the Chicago Bulls, uh, who have been a crushing disappointment in the Vucevic era. Yeah, who could have predicted that? I, I mean, you could have seen that it wasn't necessarily going to move them forward as much as maybe they thought, but yeah. for them to be actively least, for yeah. them to be actively worse is a surprise. Yeah, uh, and and I mean, I thought at least this was going to assure them a chance. Like, I thought they were even going to make the playoffs or or get at least into the top half of the play-in bracket. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're done. They're four games behind. I mean, Levine and, and Vooch are going to come back for Thursday. They both practice today. Um, I'm sure I surely will get to Chicago as well, but I think the Sacramento Kings with no De'Aaron Fox and no Tyrese Halliburton despite the fact that they have somehow been frisky and despite the fact that they still have two games remaining against, against the Thunder that's why I didn't pick them because they have two games left <laughs> against the Thunder yeah but I mean the Pels are playing well too they're 
uh there's still a game and a half behind the pels and that's even to get to 11th and then you've got the spurs and the grizz and the warriors ahead of them for the play-in and then the kings would also don't forget have to win two games in the play-in yeah so i feel i feel more comfortable ruling them out than the bulls i mean the bulls just have more talent available they're going up against the east you could see a team like like i don't see any of these teams other than maybe the spurs just like totally free falling and then the pels would probably take their place so yeah i think uh sacramento to me has a worse chance than the bulls i will go with them but then in the snake draft i will let's see who would be next for me yeah i think i would then have to go to the with the with the bulls after that um so that i i will go with the next like actual unique choice here okay uh because i assume your next one would be sacramento correct yeah yeah so our choices here are the Raps, Spurs, Pels. Do I dare go for a team that might even make the play-in? Uh, <laughs> I guess I'm going to go, oof. I might like the Pels better than the Spurs at this point. Even even if the Spurs might be a favorite to make it in, I just think yeah. the Pels would have a better chance of that. Oh, they've got myriad injury issues. Who knows how long Brandon Ingram is going to be out for them. And Steven Adams comes back for 20 minutes and then has to sit out again with this toe issue. So they're not in great shape either but they do still have zion i guess i'm gonna go and i'm also worried that if the raps get in like you could see the pacers or hornets free falling and maybe the raptors and the wizards both get in in which case i could see the raptors maybe making some noise i'm gonna rule out the san antonio spurs next wow okay no, De- no Derek yeah. white yeah I think that's a good pick. I think they're drawing dead in a play-in game without Derek White. Yeah, I, almost certainly going to be... like Because they they have no chance of getting up to the 7 or 8, given their schedule, I would say. I mean, maybe yeah. that changes a little bit, but um, I think it's going to be pretty difficult there. So is, is that your pick as well there, Spurs? Uh, the next, next I actually... The next team I was going to pick was going to be Toronto. Because I, I just yeah. think they're a little too injured to really make a... Even to make a run to 10th, I think, is kind of uphill right now for them. So I would have gone I would have gone Toronto then Spurs. Okay. Well, I'm going to go Spurs and then Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> uh okay so we you've now ruled out Toronto and the Spurs as well. So it's back to me again. It would be perfect for me if I just like lost track of how many teams we had and like ruled too many teams out of the playoffs. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's that's we're so ruling we're Dallas to, out of the playoffs, right? <laughs> so I uh, all right. So I, we've got three more to go here. We have now both ruled eleven teams out of the playoffs, and for my next pick, I'm going to rule out the Minnesota Timberwolves. Minnesota. <laughs> um, so my remaining realistic teams that I would pick from here. Hornets, Pacers, Wizards, Grizz, Pels. I think the Warriors are going to make it. Whoever the seven seed is between the Celtics and Heat, I think they're going to make it. Uh, the Wizards, the only thing that gives me pause about them, as I mentioned, like in my power rankings for who's better right now, I'd pick the Wiz above the Hornets or the Pacers. But I'm just worried that the Wiz won't catch up to those teams and have to win two games. Yeah. Okay, I think the I think the Pels will probably got to be my next pick. If they make it, they're, they're going to be 10th. And that's just a re- to win for them to win win two road games yeah i think we kind of just because we know they're going to be 10th and it's just going to be difficult i think that would be that's the yeah pick for me. i i think there's still a fear factor there there's a respect for the just the amount of talent on that team but they've never the whole year they've never shown themselves to be the team we imagine they can become and they're still dealing with injury issues too so they're they're probably the say this safest call left on the board this occurred to me the other day, and I know you've been hitting this too, and we did not like the Adams trade, but if you just look at 
like this team is like butting up against the luxury tax right to where they bring brought over Didi so they they could sign him a little bit earlier because he was a draft pick of theirs and it cost yeah. less less against the tax they've got brandon ingram lonzo and zion easily like not even close easily the three best players those guys make basically 45 million dollars combined like if you look at the salaries on the rest of this roster and just <laughs> the pathetic amount of production that they're getting from these guys like your three best players make 45 million dollars you're up against the tax those guys have played most of the year and you're, and you're, you're like not yeah you're not even probably close to making the playoffs like like this to get that much production for 45 million dollars and to get so little yeah. from the remaining what is it you know 95 or 85 close, million close eight about 85 million dollars on the rest of the roster yeah i, I mean should, can we just go through some of these salaries if in case people have forgotten of you know steven adams 29 and yeah. a half james 29 and a half 29 and a half uh, James Johnson, 16. Uh, you got 16.9 for Eric Bledsoe, who's been a big disappointment. Yeah. I mean, those, those are the three. Those three Those guys. are the three I mean, big ones. Everyone else is a rookie scale guy. Jackson Hayes starting to play better. That's nice, at least. Yeah, $5 million for Jackson Hayes. Uh, yeah, the other, the other ones are all small deals. Losing Josh Hart hurt them. $3.5 million. Yeah. I mean, he's he was right. actually legitimate value deal. Um, okay, who's next here for you? Next team, uh, can we queue up uh, Tom Petty uh, for the free-fallen Indiana Pacers? Oh, man. So, yeah, the Pacers, huh? I mean, to me, for that spot, I, I, I just like, I like, I still like Charlotte better than Indy, especially if Charlotte's playing out of the eighth spot. Um, So it really comes down to Indy or Memphis probably at this point as the team you're knocking out. Because I I do think Golden State should be favored in a playing game. I think in a playing environment, Memphis is in a tough spot because their depth advantage basically goes away. And they're relying on starters versus starters and playing more half court, which isn't really their thing. Uh, so I, especially if they're playing out of the, if, now, if they're playing out of the eight spot, maybe that, that gets them a little more, you know, better situation. But uh, yeah, I think, I, I think the Warriors are going to get there. It's going to be close. But the Warriors, I mean, they've got two games left against OKC still, which uh, 538's got the Warriors finishing a game ahead of the Grizz right now. Yeah. But a lot of that could change. You know, the Warriors also play Phoenix and Utah. Also, they have their last six at home where they've been a lot better this year. But you could also run into these issues where some teams aren't trying down the end. I mean, that got that West of like teams trying to jockey into getting the most favorable matchup. I do have this feeling that like somehow it's all going to turn out Denver's way because it always it always seems to that. <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah so that's uh yeah i would i mean the pacers just are nowhere near as good as the grizz i mean i think that's ultimately what it's got to come down to um so i would agree with you and i mean especially with no turner they just can't stop anybody they always seem to have myriad injury issues and you know they seem to want the coach fired so yeah uh, winning one winning to make it into the playoffs if they make the playoffs the actual best of seven yeah seems like they probably won't fire them but if they don't then they probably will yeah Maybe that's how it'll turn out well, there's a one two three cancun vibe there for sure yeah okay so that now leaves us with 
I think that's I think that's everybody. Is that it? Is that our yeah. field? That that's is... our field. I mean, we eliminated Washington, so we have we have Charlotte. Oh. In, we have Charlotte in the field, but we eliminated fourteen teams. Uh, I've only got us at thirteen teams eliminated right now. I think we got to kill. Do we have to kill one more in the West? Yeah, we do. We got to kill one more in the West still. It, it has to be huh? either Memphis or Golden State because Portland is going to make it as the seven. Oh no, right? I'm sorry. Okay, so I was saying I was eliminating Indiana, and then Memphis was the one team left over. So if we eliminate Memphis, then we're there. Yeah, unless you want to eliminate Golden State instead. Uh, I I would take Golden State over Memphis in a one-game play-in. So our predicted playoff fields then are Charlotte getting the eight, either Miami or Boston, the seven in the east, and then we got Portland or LA or Dallas getting the seven and Golden State getting the eight. Yeah. Okay. If you're hiring for your company, what you need is help making your short list of quality candidates. You don't need 500 candidates who just applied with no regard for what the actual qualifications are. You need Indeed instead. You can post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. You can also use skill tests to winnow down the field of applicants. And using Indeed overall will on average reduce the amount of time you spend on hiring by 27%. You only pay for the candidates that meet your must-have qualifications. And you can schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. They've got over 130 skills tests. Or you can even add your own. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four Four times more hires than all other job sites combined. So you're getting the high quality candidates, you're saving time, and ultimately getting the applicants that are right for you. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash locked, the name of this network. Get a $75 credit at indeed.com slash locked, indeed.com slash locked, offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. If the last year has taught us anything, it's that we don't really need bricks and mortar stores anymore going to your local auto parts store really was not a good experience to begin with in that front area they never really had anything other than just totally generic stuff and then you would go to that desk you probably had to wait in line while the one person who was there at the counter tried to find the part the person in front of you wanted and then finally when you got up there you would ask for your part and they'd say oh yeah we can order that it'll be here in two weeks well great i could have just stayed at home and used rockauto.com got my part faster and Saved a bunch of money. Change stores at different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody and are reliably low. So go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car and truck. You just put your make and model in there. Right locked on in there. How did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. Okay, we, we are here. We are here, everyone. We apologize for having had to mute on the uh on the app here but we, the um the desktop client was not working so uh let us know hopefully the audio quality is decent we're just going straight with the we got 15 speaker requests in here wow okay all right i'm gonna stop prevaricating let's get to work let's start with uh gerard gerard are you there hey guys thanks for taking my call uh, my name is it's actually jared um oh, but sorry yeah, no, no problem. Uh, so my question is about uh, Terry Stotts and the Blazers. Um, 
I'm not necessarily uh, advocating for the Blazers to to keep Stotts necessarily, uh, but just given the uh, the presupposition that uh, Lillard and McCollum and probably Nurkic are, are going to be there, I'm just wondering like what potential is there that's left to be unlocked, uh, and what coach um, could unlock that potential if it even exists in, in the first place. Well, the biggest issue I see is just at the defensive end. Is the, is there more that they can do defensively than they've been able to do under Stotts, where they played a lot of vanilla schemes and basically, and basically you know, sort of you know, aim to be aim to max out at league average. So can, can can another coach get more out of them at that end? Because offensively, they're great. Yeah, and I, I was thinking, um, you know, uh, from the offensive end even, um, like would a Mike D'Antoni be able to get something more uh, specifically? Um, you, you know, something that I was always wondering about them, if, if they could shift away from uh, the, the spread pick and roll scheme to a more pass and cut uh, motion scheme um, that uh, uh, he ran with Nash in uh or steve nash uh in in phoenix if that could help unlock some potential uh, on the offensive end um because i think you know you know the defense you know you'll grant i'm not saying they can't get any better but given their personnel i'm wondering you know you know how much better uh could it could there be there i i guess i sort of wonder the opposite where they i mean they've been in top five in offense the last two years but they're 29th defensively like i i just don't i just don't think there's a lot of low-hanging fruit left on the offensive end for them that they've been really good at that end interestingly you know you mentioned d'antoni he i thought of him too and and obviously being in his early 70s now maybe it's a little bit different for him but this is for a coach who may have a couple more year window and maybe a team that does i can kind of see it from there and the last job that mike d'antoni got was with the rockets I remember in 2016 we're like hey their offense is fine they got hard and they got to get better defensively and instead they brought him in and they just got even better offensively they brought in ryan anderson and, and eric gordon so i mean there could be something to the idea that they could at least get better offensively in the playoffs um but the other guy i was thinking of that could be interesting was uh steve clifford who you would imagine isn't going to want to hang out for that rebuild in orlando and definitely has shown some instant ability to floor raise uh, for uh defensive teams um okay thanks thanks for that one jared and let's get to ag ag what's up man hey guys um i had your i just want to know your opinions on two factors and i'm really curious about these two factors because they're not really measurable it's in a playoff series it's experience and the best player on the team uh best player in the series and i just want to know like how much you guys value those because i was thinking more of this in the context of the phoenix suns but you guys can go outside of that it's like first thing like i think a lot of their players major rotation players don't have meaningful basketball experience and secondly i don't see chris paul or devin booker being the best player in the series in a majority of the series they would have to play to get out of the west so i personally don't view them as a top tier contender so i just want to know your opinion on the on those two facts you know one piece of data i looked at uh showed that experience did matter but actually the experience of the coach when you factored that out it mattered a lot more than the experience of the players which i thought was interesting uh monty williams obviously hasn't coached a lot of playoff series so that could be a factor right off the bat there and then I think your other point is exactly correct, though. Like, wh- who, what, what is the series where Paul or Booker is going to be the best player on the court? And that that's a tough one in the West for Phoenix. And that's why I think, despite their record, a lot of people are a little more dismissive of their chances of coming out of the West. 
And I'll, I'll add to that too on Phoenix. I'm not sure that their defense can hold up at the same elite level that it's been in the playoffs. And, you know, they've got some good perimeter defenders and Bridges is really good. Crowder is really good, but they basically have Aiton and really no other viable bigs. And I'm not sure I believe in him yet in the playoffs. Like, can he play switching more versatile defensive style and stay out of foul trouble? I, I got some questions there. They're just, and they're also got their two main guys. This will be their first playoff appearance. So, it could shape up that they get a really easy bracket and that they can play, they avoid the two LA teams and they avoid Utah until the conference finals and make it to the conference finals. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to be a great playoff team. That could just be more luck of the draw than anything. Um, yeah, I had like a similar thinking about it. Like, when you look at like I was thinking about like a potential Mavericks Sun series, like when you look at like the statistical profiles, you shouldn't give the Mavericks a chance. But just because Luca's by far the best player in the series, I kind of have a hard time just picking Phoenix easily. Yeah, I think. What do you think of the Mavs' playoff chances right now, John? Are, are they going to be an easy out, or do you see them as being pretty difficult? I actually think they can. They could be a tough out. I mean, I still sort of. I was really high on this team coming into the season. I feel like they've underachieved. I think there's maybe some weird stuff there behind the scenes, but. At the end of the day, if Doncic and Porzingis are both healthy and playing, that that's a tough out right there. All right, thanks for that, AG. Let us move to Drew. How are you, Drew? Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for taking the question. So I want to bring up the Pels on a couple of notes. Uh, number one, we know that B.I. and Zion are lacking quite a bit defensively. And for me as a longtime fan, I basically, you know, aside from all the assets Griff collects and all that, I basically the only thing I'm looking at when I watch a game in terms of evaluating the potential for the future is how are B.I. and Zion developing on defense because we know five years down the road, their offense should be, you know, top three fairly consistently if they're together. So I'm I'm curious for your thoughts on how they can develop there and what you think their likelihood of developing there is. And then I'm also curious, their offensive rankings over the last month or two have gone down. I'm curious for what you've seen there as, as to why their offense has, has tanked a little bit lately. Well, I think with the offense tanking, it's no players. <laughs> That's probably <laughs> Lonzo missing a bunch of time, and you know, you're playing Najee Marshall and James Johnson a bunch. They have no shooting. Steven Adams even hasn't played some recently. I think teams also are starting to get at least a little bit more of an understanding of how to deal with Zion. And I'd also say that Zion is seems to be slowing down very slightly. Like he's held up amazingly well, but he plays a very physical game and very reliant on athleticism and just to attack the rim night after night after night after night. He looked like he was kind of out of gas at the end of last night's game, but Lonzo ended up saving him. So I think all of those uh, are factors. Um, John, you want to take the other part of, of his question? Yeah, I, um, I, you know, Zion's definitely gotten better on defense, but he was just starting at a spot that was like 100 million miles behind everybody else. Uh, but they've been a disappointment on defense this year. I don't think there's any question about that. I think that, and and I do think if they have more guys out there on the court with them at the offensive end who are viable, maybe that makes it a little easier for Ingram and Zion to lock in more defensively. But they, I mean, they have to get better at that end. I don't think there's any question about that for for New Orleans to hit its potential. I mean, this has been. I think it's fair to characterize this season as a disappointment. 
And well, it's the defense that's been the main part of it. Yeah, and if you had told me before the season that Zion was going to be this good, I think, yeah, you would have to characterize that as a disappointment. I mean, Adams, to me, has been a disappointment. But so, like, they brought in all these guys who are supposedly going to improve the defense. I never was buying that with Adams, but that was certainly what David Griffin yeah. was thinking, and especially when he extended him for another two years as well. But, yeah, it hasn't uh, – that has not worked out that well yet. Thanks for that, Drew. And next up will be Zach. Zach, what's up, man? Hello, how's it going? Quite well, thank you. What do you got for us? Um, some Milwaukee Bucks questions, actually. First, I wanted to talk about what they could possibly do this offseason if they fail to reach expectations. I know Budenholzer could be on the hot seat, but like personnel decisions, is there any way they can move on from Middleton or anything reasonable they could get for Dante DiVincenzo as I feel his values dropped a lot this season so far? I think DiVincenzo has trade value. I think he's a good player. I mean, I'd, I'd be wanting to keep him if I was Milwaukee, especially at his at his cost. I mean, he's it's sort of critical to have him on the on a on a decent money deal with the money they're paying everyone else. Chris Middleton's an interesting one. Now, the problem with trading him is that you need that perimeter threat around Giannis. So, who are you getting for Middleton who's better than Middleton? I, I think if they go in a trade direction, it's probably more something like Brooke Lopez and Pat Connaughton, you know? And then can they do something with those guys to get another player? And the problem is they're out on first round picks uh, going out to 27. So what what are the assets they can throw into a deal? They're in a tight spot as far as making trades to make this team better. I, I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, DiVincenzo might have to be included in some deal like that to get a major piece just because he's the only young asset they basically have. Yeah, and then DiVincenzo, too, he'll, he's extension eligible this offseason. So if you extend him, then you're basically not going to be able to trade him next year unless you can get him for cheap enough that uh, the base year compensation issues won't be a problem. Or if you don't extend him, then you trade him. you got to trade him to a team that realizes that he's going to be – he's not on that cheap rookie contract anymore. That's kind of the appeal for him. But, yeah, he's kind of their only asset. So I'm not sure what you can do there. Middleton in particular, it's just those are the types of trades that just don't really happen of kind of good player for good player you generally you put you trade a guy for future assets that's usually the type of trade that works so uh yeah i think it, trading brooke lopez would be interesting i think there would be a market for lopez and i mean what if they were to move lopez john what do you think like what type of player would they be wanting to get for him that's that's where i trip over myself like what what, what are they even getting out of it um has would have to be a knockdown shooter i would think and yeah. and somebody who can play switchable defense and probably has some size but but then uh, so my which is which is the same thing every other team in the league is looking for all the time and overpays for so it's going to be tough. Well, so here's my other question too: is like if you move Brook Lopez, who I think is still very good, uh, who the hell like PJ Tucker is also a free agent. He's going to be 37 next year, so you you can't rely on him for more than 20 minutes a game. Who the hell else is playing next to Giannis in the front court? Then you're not even getting Bobby Portis back next year, most likely because he has a yep. player option. So yeah. Yeah, they're in a they're in a really tight spot as far as making moves with his roster. Yeah, I mean, is there is there anyone uh, Zach that you 
thought they should target uh, with Middleton since it, since you brought him up? Something that intrigues me, I don't think it would ever get done, but a Tobias Harris idea, they make around the same money. And let's say Milwaukee and Philly both feel the need to switch things up. I feel like there could possibly get like a deal around those two. I don't know how it would all work out. But personally, from a Bucks fan, Harris is very intriguing as he's got size and does almost what Middleton does. I feel like they have very similar skill sets. Uh, that's that's interesting. I I I would probably rather go ahead with uh, uh, with with Middleton if I were, if I were Milwaukee. the the only The only way that makes sense to me is if you're saying Philadelphia is throwing in a draft pick, and I can use that draft pick and Pat Connaughton and get another player too. Yeah, then I might think harder about it. Oh, someone else that intrigued me a lot was Seth Curry in that sort of role, but I feel like his value is very high right now. Yeah, especially on that team. I, I, if I'm Philadelphia, I, I'm probably not trading Seth Curry to the Bucks. Yeah, well, it could be a real challenge trade if it were Bryn, Bryn Forbes and Chris <laughs> Middleton for Seth Curry and Tobias Harris. Let's just, there you let's go. just trade some sort of players. But I think Middleton has more defensive versatility on, on the perimeter and is maybe a little bit better of a spot-up shooter. So I like him better next to Giannis. All right, thanks for that one, Zach. Yeah, and thank you. Got, got time for let's see here a couple more let's uh bring in Vinay. how are you hey guys thanks so much for taking my question i appreciate it um i'm a huge warriors fan but my question actually concerns the other team in northern california the sacramento kings and i'm wondering what the hell does this team do moving forward uh obviously they missed a chance to uh to sell high on barnes and holmes they seem a little stuck, which is nothing new for this Wobegon franchise. So if you're Monty McNair, I'm just wondering what you would, what is your game plan of action this offseason? And related to that, what would a Buddy Heald trade potentially look like? A Buddy Heald trade, it's tough because he, he hasn't played up to his contract. You're, you're almost better off keeping him and hoping he plays better next year, to be honest. I mean, you're not winning the title next year anyway. Um, because you're probably going to have to incentivize somebody to take him at his number right now. But his dollars go down in the out years, so that may not necessarily be the case in, you know, 22-23. They made the trades for Wright and Terrence Davis. I presume they're going to re-sign Terrence Davis. I'm guessing they'll bring back Rashawn Holmes, too. I mean, they got a donut in the middle if they don't. Uh, And then they'll just... You know, have the draft pick, go forward another year. The biggest question is Bagley. And do you do an extension with Bagley or do you, you know, ride out this last year at 11 million? What do you do there? Because he just, you know, even watching him last night against Oklahoma City, like he was okay. (laughs) But like he's just, there's just nothing special there. And and you kind of have to almost move on from that at some point like even i don't necessarily mean move on get rid of him but like abandon the idea that he's this central building block yeah for me i would be looking to try again on maybe moving barns in the off season see what i could get there um and you know if you can get the the old robert covington type package for him i think you would you would want to look at that seriously. Bagley, too, it seems like from all the reporting that there's a, an expectation there's going to be some kind of a divorce there. Resigning Holmes, I think, yeah, they do have a, a big hole in the middle. I guess my question, John, is just like, you know, are you are they trying to just get into the 10th seed? Like, like what is your overall goal 
for the next two or three seasons. I, I think, see, to me, that's what you need to determine first is, what is our goal for the next three, three to five years as a team? And then you try to figure out how to accomplish that goal as opposed to just, okay, how can we make ourselves incrementally better next year that doesn't fit into a larger plan? Yeah, I mean, I guess I feel like Holmes is young enough that, you yeah. know, if you're trying to be good three years from now, he still helps you. Uh and yeah. could probably have trade value in the meantime if re-signed. And they don't really have meaningful cap room. So they're sort of in that bird rights trap where retaining Holmes then as a, as a tradable asset becomes more valuable than letting him walk. Yeah, a lot depends, too, on who they get in the draft. I think that's it. obviously if they can bump up into the top four, get some luck, then that changes a, a lot of things. Or, you know, if you can find another Halliburton in that, you know, late, late single digits range, that would change things a lot, too. But yeah, the idea, I mean, building around Halliburton and Fox, that seems like a solid group of guys, you know, might form the nucleus of a lower end playoff team someday. Uh, but, you know, if you're if those guys get to be Lillard and McCollum, you're probably you really feel lucky at some point if they're at that level. But even then, you're kind of, you know, you've got to put a lot around those guys to really even get to being a consistent Western playoff team. That So I, obviously, that's the uh, I understand where Benet is coming from here. They are one of the teams I think that has, you know, if I were just put in charge with them, I'd be like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do with these guys, particularly with uh, Vivek pushing to end the now 15-year playoff. Yes, yes. Uh, all right, let's finish out here with our old friend, Sean, out of Memphis. Sean, you are on. Hey, guys, how are y'all? John, Nate, have y'all been doing all right? Doing great. Well, yeah, definitely. I, I, I would love to say that I was hoping that the uh, the Grizzlies uh, would be doing great, but uh, they're uh, uh, they're kind of struggled here, and I think fatigue has a lot to do with that. Um, Sean, you know, Sean, I've got I've got some bad news for you. Uh, yeah. On the part of the pod that you guys could not hear, we ruled the Grizzlies out of the playoffs. <laughs> well, but hey, if uh, if the Washington Wizards are any indication, that means that the Memphis Grizzlies are uh, immediately going to win uh, their next thirteen games. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope. Well, so basically that that was the thing that I was going to ask was that when y'all looked at the Grizzlies this year with however much y'all have, how much do you believe in their defense? And and I think that that is something that has at least given me a bit of hope. John, you were talking about it with the Suns, you know, with defense having to be elite in the playoffs. I, I don't think the Grizzlies are there yet, obviously, but with what value Taylor e. Jenkins can add with his coaching style and with the defensive depth that they have in some of their younger players, I do think that their defense, it was fueled by creating turnovers at the first of the year. It's now been fueled by better half-court and three-point defense. Do y'all feel it's just kind of, well, they've just basically played to the strength of the roster they have in place? Or do y'all feel that this defense, there's some young core pieces that can make defense a true identity of this team and make it stand out in the playoffs as they mature over the next? Well, it it would help if they actually played DeAnthony Melton a little bit. Agreed. But I I mean, I I can tell you, I mean, one of the reasons we did the offer sheet on Kyle Anderson was for his defense. Um, You know, obviously, Xavier Tillman drafted as a defensive player. Desmond Bain, pretty solid defensive player. Uh, so I think I think there's a lot there, especially with Jaron being back in the lineup now and and what he potentially offers at that end. Yeah, uh, that he's he's the key to me. But man, I mean, just I, I guess you shouldn't expect this after all the time off. But I mean, he still just fouls and plays with his hands as much as ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. F- figuring out what to do with his hands is is an ongoing issue for him, definitely. Uh, but it's it's a tradition, and that you. You know, we had that with Jermichael Green too. So um, the uh, 
But, they, you know, the other thing is, I mean, I think they got to get job better defensively as good as he's been at the offensive end. Uh, and then, uh, you know, some of these guys, too, like they've been helping and contributing at the defensive end. But when you get down to brass tacks, you, you know, two, three years out, who are they going to be like the five, six core guys on this team? Are those guys really part of it or not? Uh, I think there are some tough t- choices coming up for this organization in terms of who are they going to pay and keep and who is not going to be part of this group going forward. You can't just go on resigning all 14 of your rotation players. Agreed. And, and, and I'll end on that actually as a team, you know, as you know, covering a team that is on the up and up, hopefully, you know, as their core goes, um, you know, I talked about them shooting and defending the three um, as being that next step that they've got to get good at to become a playoff contender in, general, what are some either underrated or less talked about aspects of teams that are so important in the playoffs? Like, is it is it defending the three? Is it half-court defense? When it comes to, you know, obviously scoring and having superstars helps out in the playoffs, but just one or two team traits that y'all feel are so important that separates true contenders and, and non-contenders that are not talked about that much when it comes to playoffs on the consistent. So what I would say, Sean, is this is an axiom that's kind of been crystallizing in my mind, and it's a bit facile, so don't take this to the bank. But I say the regular season is about strengths, and the postseason is about weaknesses. So it's really the absence of major weaknesses from a scheme standpoint on either end. Like there's, you've got shooting at all of your positions. You don't have any guys that uh, don't need to be guarded. Uh, and then on, on defense, you you've got good defense at all the positions or at least the ability to help for the one guy. You don't have multiple liabilities out there. You can play a lot of different schemes. And so they're just, when the opposing coach is game planning for you, there isn't that obvious thing where you're just like, oh yeah, this is what we can attack. That's That I think to me is just not having weaknesses is one of the biggest things in the playoffs for me that stands out. That's awesome. Always a pleasure talking with y'all. Thank y'all. Enjoy the stretch run in the playoffs, guys. Hope y'all have a great day. Thanks, Sean, and always a pleasure talking with you all on Locker Room. Hopefully we'll get things worked out for next week with uh, the recording of the podcast uh, as well. Actually, no, we won't get it worked out for next week. We'll get it worked out two weeks from now because John is going to be incommunicado next week. So uh, we'll be back two weeks from today on uh, Wednesday. That would be the 19th. So that'll be, uh, we'll be in the throes of play and magic, which uh, John wrote about for the athletic this week. And we will talk to y'all then. Thanks again. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.